Please open your Bibles to Philippians chapter 3. We'll invite the Lord to guide our time together. <clears throat> Father, would you be pleased today to speak to us by your Holy Spirit, through your word, what every one of us needs to hear. Would you prepare our hearts to hear it? Or prepare me to speak it? And would you use this to transform our lives? Would you give us a greater and greater desire to know Christ? To live what we just sang, yet not I, but Christ in me. For this is the hope of glory. It's our hope here. If we have any hope of living out an authentic Christian life. It's only as Christ lives it through us. Would you help us to know you, to desire you more and more? For we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. In many ways, Christianity here in the U.S. can be summed up by this poem by Wilbur Reese. He writes, I would like to buy $3 worth of God, please. Not enough to explode my soul or disturb my sleep, but just enough to equal a, a cup of warm milk or a snooze in the sunshine. I don't want enough of God to make me love those who are different from me or pick beets with a migrant. I want ecstasy, not transformation. I want the warmth of the womb, not a new birth. I want a pound of the eternal in a paper sack. I would like to buy $3 worth of God, please. Too often we want just enough of God to assure us of our salvation and that our needs are met, but not so much that He would call us to sacrifice or to step out of our comfort zone. This mentality flies in the face of the message of Scripture and the heart of God. And it has pervaded the church of the United States of America. When we take God seriously and truly pursue a depth of relationship with Jesus Christ, it will change our life. In our text this morning in Philippians 3, Paul is expressing his desire to truly know Jesus Christ and to walk more deeply 
with Him. This morning we want to examine the desire of the Apostle Paul, not just so we can know what he thought and what he wanted, but as he says later in the text in verse 17, brethren, join in following my example. We want to learn about this man of God and the desire of his heart so that we can learn from his example so that we can also have a deeper walk with Christ. It's been a few weeks since we've been in the book of Philippians, and so I'm going to go ahead and read from verse 1 of chapter 3 down through verse 11. Our focus will be on verses 10 and 11, but I want to, again, remind us of the context. He says, starting with verse 1, Finally, my brethren, rejoice in the Lord, and to write the same things again is no trouble to me and is a safeguard for you. Beware of the dogs, beware of the evil workers, beware of the false circumcision. For we are the true circumcision who worship in the Spirit of God and glory in Christ Jesus and put no confidence in the flesh. Although I myself might have confidence in the flesh. If anyone has a mind to put confidence in the flesh, I far more circumcised the eighth day of the nation of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, as to the law, a Pharisee, as to zeal, a persecutor of the church, as to the righteousness which is in the law, found blameless. In other words, Paul says, I'm all that. But whatever things were gained to me, those things I have counted as loss for the sake of Christ. And more than that, I count all things to be lost in view of the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things, and count them but rubbish, in order that I may gain Christ and may be found in Him, not having a righteousness of my own derived from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness which comes from God on the basis of faith, that I may know Him and the power of His resurrection and the fellowship of His sufferings, being conformed to His death in order that I may attain to the resurrection from the dead. If we're to follow the example of the Apostle Paul, we ought to strive for a deeper walk with Jesus. What would that mean for us? There are two desires that he expresses here. One, a desire to know Jesus more deeply. That I may know Him. Knowing Christ in this context isn't referring to saying a prayer or asking Jesus into our life. It's to know Him experientially. That's what that word means in verse 8 and in verse 10, to know. He says, the surpassing value, verse 8, of knowing, that is, knowing by experience, Christ Jesus my Lord, having a personal connection and relationship with Jesus. He says, I have suffered the loss of all things. Everything is lost to me. Remember that word loss means detrimental or a liability. Paul says, I consider all things in this life 
Everything that I would have a tendency to put my trust in as a liability compared to the surpassing value of knowing by experience Jesus Christ my Lord for whom I have suffered the loss of all things. You remember uh, we, we, we said that most likely he came from a wealthy home. He gave up all that to pursue Christ. He says, I count them but rubbish, refuse, a pile of dung in comparison to knowing Christ and being found to be in Him. Verse 10, that I may know Him. That I may come to know by experience is what that literally means. I may come to know by experience Him, the power of His resurrection and the fellowship of His sufferings. What's he saying? First of all, that I may come to know Him personally. Right? That I may come to know by experience Jesus Christ. Paul already had a relationship with Jesus. He's been serving Him. He wants to know Him deeply, more deeply. We can know a lot about God, but not really know God. We learn a lot about God through the Bible. We can have a degree in theology, and, we can, and some of us love to study theology, and I, I do. The danger of that is we can become, it can become all academic. And we can get so wrapped up in the intricacies of theology and the details of, of certain doctrinal positions and think that we have a deep relationship with Jesus when we just know about Him. But we don't spend any time with Him. Because we spend all our time learning about Him and never really having a relationship. Think about a famous person that you, some, your, fa your favorite famous person. It might be an athlete, it might be a musician, it might be an actor, an actress, it might be a, an artist, somebody that you, you admire from a distance and, and you maybe have learned about their life and you've read about them and you, you've gone to concerts or all these things. You know a lot about them, but you don't know them personally. Many people are walking around like this when it comes to God. They don't know Him. You can't know someone without spending time with Him. And this is why we have made an emphasis uh, continually, and this year particularly, reading through the Scripture. Not so we can check a box and say, I did my thing, and at the end of the year, hey, I read through the Bible, look what a good Christian I am. No, so that we can get to know Him, so we spend time. He speaks to us through this book. This is His Word to us. He communicates to us even today through the truth of God's Word. Let me give you an example. And those of you reading through the Bible, you've read, you would have read this, I don't know, weeks ago. In Genesis chapter uh, 29, I believe it is. It's just one of the many things that as I, as I read through the, these every day, reading through the Scripture, I ask the Lord, show me one thing that you want to impress upon me today. One truth about you, one truth about life that I can put into practice, something that I can focus upon. And in that, that day, back in Genesis 29, as I'm reading about Jacob, 
And, uh, you know, Jacob go, runs away from, uh, from Esau because he, he deceived him. And so he's trying to get away. He goes back to um, his, his mother's relative, uh, brother Laban, and he's there looking for a wife. And he sees Rachel. Beautiful Rachel. I, I love Rachel, right? So I, I'm willing to work seven years, Jacob says, to have Rachel as my wife. He works seven years. It's time to consummate the marriage. He goes into her, and, and he sleeps with her. And the next morning he finds out it's Leah. And not Rachel. What in the world is this? Apparently, Leah must not have been very attractive to Jacob. What's going on here? So he ends up having to work seven more years for Rachel. And then he has children and all this. So here's what the scripture says, and this is so neat about God that verse 31, Genesis 29 says, Now the Lord saw that Leah was unloved. And he opened her womb. And I just stopped. And God was saying, see, I see people when nobody else sees them. When somebody feels unloved, feels all alone, feels like nobody cares, I see that. That's our God. And I care. I wasn't sitting there that morning feeling unloved. I wasn't sitting there feeling depressed, feeling out of sorts. No, I, but God showed me something about him that stuck in, stuck in me. And I said, Lord, thank you that that's who you are. And thank you that there are so many people in our world today who feel all alone, who feel like nobody notices them, nobody cares, nobody loves them, and yet you do. What a wonderful thing about God. And as you continue to read through that story, he opens her womb, and then she has a son, and she says, because the Lord has seen my affliction, surely now my husband will love me. Don't think he did. Then she has another son. Because the Lord has heard that I am unloved, he has therefore given me this son also. Then the next thing, she conceives a third time and has another son. Now this time my husband will become attached to me because I've borne him three sons. Nothing seems to have changed there with Jacob. Then she has a fourth son, and her perspective changes. Verse 35, she said, this time I will praise the Lord. She finally, finally gets it. God loves me, even if my husband doesn't. I will praise him. Wonderful, wonderful interaction going on there. For us to witness, for us to learn, for us to to hear God speaking truth to us. So important that we read the Word of God with the understanding that God wants to communicate to us through this Word. Truth that we can apply, we can understand for our own life. We want to know Him personally. We want to develop a relationship with Him. So we spend time in His Word to hear from Him. We spend time in prayer to talk to Him. Communication. It's the key to relationship. And He says, I also want to know the power of His resurrection. 
that I may know His power. And where power means having the capacity to perform, it also means that which overcomes resistance. That which overcomes resistance. Paul wanted to experience the same power that raised Jesus from the dead and gave him victory over sin and over death. Not his sin, but our sin that he took upon himself when he hung on that cross. He wanted to know that same power that overcomes resistance. Guess what? Paul was a real human being with real struggles and temptations just like you and me. And he says, I want to know Jesus so deeply. I want to know that power that raised him from the dead. I want to know that same kind of ability to overcome the resistance in my own life. The struggle with temptation. The struggle with dealing with people. You know, Paul didn't like everybody the same. Paul had people in his life who were a real pain in the, you know what? People that wanted to kill him. People that tried to kill him. People that almost killed him. People that ran him out of town. He says, I want to know the power. Not the power so that I can defeat everybody and, and put them in their place. No, so that I can overcome. I can be an overcomer. We're growing in Christ when we are experiencing the power to resist temptation. When we, are, when we are seeing that, that God is, is doing a work in our life and that where I am today is not where I was a year ago in regard to my struggles. And by God's grace, a year from now, I will be in a better place than I am today in this journey. Because I'm growing more deeply in my relationship with Jesus. Romans 8 Verses 11 through 13 says, But if the Spirit of Him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, and He does, He who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through His Spirit who indwells you. So then, brethren, we're not, no, we're, we are under obligation not to the flesh, to live according to the flesh. For if you are living according to the flesh, you must die. If, you, by, the, if by the Spirit you're putting to death a deed to the body, you will live. That's our position in Christ. Growing up spiritually is when we begin to practice by the power of the Holy Spirit in our life who we are in position. I may know His power. I may know this kind of power. That's Paul's desire. He's not satisfied. He doesn't believe he's arrived. In fact, we go on in verse 12, not that I've already obtained this. I've already become perfect or mature, but I'm pressing on. That's the desire of his heart. So what do we do when we give in to sin? What do we do when, when yeah, our desire is to overcome, and yet we, we don't, and we give in? Well, God has provided for us, right? The, the forgiveness is found through Jesus Christ. For Sean 1 9 tells us we confess our sins, he is faithful and just, and forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. There is your part and his part. 
If we confess our sins, that means I agree with God that what I've done is wrong. I'm not making excuses. I'm not trying to justify it. I acknowledge it. I confess it. And then God is faithful and just. That's who He is. To forgive us. That's His part. And to cleanse us from unrighteousness. He says, get up. You've been forgiven. Don't wallow in it. Don't try and make up for it. Get up and walk in the freedom I've given you. Proverbs 28.13 says, He who conceals his transgressions will not prosper. Try and hide it. Again, we try and make excuses for it. Will not prosper. But then it says, But he who confesses and forsakes them will find compassion. That's what we need. Compassion of God. God doesn't make us for it. Most of us uh, growing up and probably most of us as parents, you know, when our kids messed up and when we messed up, what, you know, we, had to, we had to pay for it. There was a time frame. There was a go to your room for this amount of time or do whatever. Um, and again, much of that's appropriate because we need discipline and we need to discipline our own children. God doesn't need time to be okay with us again. Maybe you experienced that. Right? You messed up. Parents upset at you. They need to cool down. And you're not sure. You're walking on eggshells for a while because you're not sure. Are we okay again? You know, what's going on? Maybe that's been your experience. That's not God. God's already dealt with our sin at the cross. So we go to Him. <clears throat> I love the statement that says, religion, it says this, <laughs> I messed up. My dad's going to kill me. Grace says, I messed up. i got to tell my dad. Right? I messed up. Dad's going to kill me. That's how we feel. The Word of God says it's a grace. I messed up. First place I need to run is to my Father because that's where I find compassion. That's where I find the grace and the forgiveness. What a beautiful, beautiful picture. Paul says, I want to know the ability to overcome. And, and, and this resurrection is being resurrected and brought up again. And when I screw up, guess what? I want to know the, the, the power, the grace of God that lifts me up again. It's wonderful. Well, this third statement is troublesome. It's very troublesome, particularly for us in, in the U.S. He says, I want to know the fellowship of his what? Suffering. The word fellowship means joint participation. I want to join in. The sufferings are not the substitutionary sufferings of Jesus on the cross on our behalf. No, we're talking about the things He suffered as He walked this earth for righteousness' sake. And so the third point is that I may come to know His persecutions. 
Listen to what Jesus said about persecution in Matthew 5. Blessed are those. How many of us have ever felt blessed? Blessed are those who've been persecuted for the sake of righteousness. The word blessed means happy. Giddy, right? Not quite. Blessed are we when we are persecuted for the sake of righteousness. For theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And then he says, Blessed are you when men cast insults at you and persecute you and see all kinds of evil against you falsely on account of me. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward in heaven is great, for so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Rejoice. Paul is saying, I want to know by experience Jesus more deeply. I want to know by experience the power that raised him from the dead so that I can overcome and that I can experience his grace and kindness in that. And I want to know by experience his suffering. Paul has already been suffering much more than any of us probably ever will. He says, I want to know. I want to know more. Why? Because he wants to know Jesus. Peter says, Beloved, do not be surprised. This is Peter, 1 Peter chapter 4, 12 through 16. Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery ordeal among you which comes upon you for your testing as though some strange thing were happening to you. That's what we think. This is odd. This is strange. This ought not to be. This is not what Christianity is. Oh, yeah, it is. But to the degree that you share the sufferings of Christ, keep on rejoicing, so that at the revelation of His glory you may rejoice with exultation. If you are reviled for the name of Christ, you are blessed, because the Spirit of glory and of God rests upon you. By no means let any of you suffer as a murderer, a thief, an evildoer, or a troublesome meddler. But if anyone suffers as a Christian, let him not feel ashamed, but in that name let him glorify God. And in verse 19 it says, Therefore let those also who suffer according to the will of God entrust their souls to a faithful Creator in doing what is right. Keep on rejoicing. Trust yourself to the Lord. Most of us know nothing about this, do we? And if we do experience a little bit of persecution, we don't rejoice in it. Complain about it. We struggle with it. And I understand that because I'm right with you. In the Voice of the Martyrs magazine this month, there's a little story about a young 18-year-old girl from Laos. Beginning of the, of the story kind of talks about her, a little bit of her journey. She, she was introduced to Jesus by her parents, but she didn't really come to understand and really embrace Christ until she was 15. And now at the age of 18, she's teaching the children at the church. And one day the authorities came. Well, you're not allowed to do this. And they took her to jail and, and interrogated her. And took her material from her. And they said, we want you to promise us that you'll never teach this to them again. And I love her response. She says, when the officers asked her to promise that she would not teach from material anymore, she replied, well, you took all the materials from me already. So there's no point to promise you if I will ever teach it again. She didn't say she wouldn't. And they were satisfied with that reply. 
so he let it go. Then it says, he left the interrogation with a greater resolve to continue teaching children about Christ. She says, after they took me to be interrogated, my faith became stronger. It made me hold steadfast to the Lord. The police threatened that if I were to continue to teach, they would arrest me and put me in some unknown place. I would be willing to be arrested because it's my, she writes duty here, but I'm sure in a sense she's saying it's my joy, my privilege, right? To reach the kids at church. Today, she continues to serve in her church, helping lead worship as well as youth Bible studies. She also works part-time while completing her education in accounting. Although she is judged and ridiculed by peers, she is unashamed of following Christ. To be humiliated, she says, for Jesus is a good thing. The whole school would make fun of me, and I was not embarrassed. It made me stronger. She knows she may face more persecution in the future. I am willing and open to accept persecution if it comes again, she said. It has taught me to keep my faith in the Lord and that He is always with me. Jesus did everything for me. He did nothing wrong, yet He died for me on the cross. I will not back away from the Lord. The Lord will not leave me nor forsake me in any situation. I want to serve the Lord with the best of my abilities. How does she know the Lord will not leave or forsake her? Because God's Word says that. Because she reads the Word of God and God has spoken to her through His Word about who He is. A God who will not leave us nor forsake us. She holds to the truth of the Word of God. She lets that impact the way she thinks and the way she lives. And she lives out her faith. And isn't it interesting, when she was persecuted, it gave her greater resolve to follow Jesus. Maybe what we need in the United States of America is a little persecution. Maybe that's what we need. So that we would have the same desire the Apostle Paul had, who had been, you read about his, his persecutions in Corinthians, shipwrecked and, and stoned and left for dead and all of these things. And he says, bring it on. I'm willing because I want to know Jesus. So the question is, do you want to know him more deeply, like Paul did? We really got to ask ourselves this question, do I want to know this part about Jesus? And only you can answer that for yourself. A desire to know Jesus more deeply. Secondly, a desire to surrender to Jesus more fully. Being conformed to his death that I may attain to the resurrection from the dead. Being conformed to his death. Ken Wiest in his comments on, on this word he says, to be made conformable means literally to bring to the same form with some other person. He says, I want, to be, I want to be like Jesus. I want to be conformed into the same likeness of Him. Right? He writes this, Paul's desire was that he might so come to know his Lord, the power of his resurrection operative in his life, and the joint participation in his sufferings, that he would be brought to the place where he would become, both as in his inner heart life as well as to the outward expression of the same, like his Lord with respect to his death, not merely his physical death, which was for others, but his death to self, as illustrated so vividly to Philippians 
uh, to the Philippians in the self-emptying of the Lord in, G, uh, in two, chapter 2, verse 7. The self-emptying emptying that was true of our Lord, not only of his, in his act of becoming incarnate and of stooping to the death on the cross, but also one that conditioned his entire earthly life and made it the beautiful life it was, a death to self, a denying of self for the blessing of others. This, was what, this is what Paul was striving for. The most radical conformity is here indicated. It was not only the undergoing of a physical death like that of Christ, but a conformity to the spirit and temper of his life, the meekness, lowliness, and submission of Christ. He says, I want to be like Jesus. I want to die to myself. And so we put it this way, that I may die to the self-life. Folks, can we just agree and acknowledge that we're in love with ourselves? We're in love with our comfort. We're in love with our affluence. We're in love with all that we have. And again, it's all for, you know, we can use this all. But when all this becomes more important to us than knowing Christ Jesus and surrendering to Him and His Lordship, over our life, then we, we, we will be worshiping at the idol. Of comfort. Rather than the altar of Christ. That I may know that I may die to the self life. Jesus said in Luke chapter nine, verse twenty three. If anyone wishes to come after me, to follow me, let him deny himself, take up his cross daily, and follow me. We are becoming more like Christ the more we die to ourselves. We need to attend our own funeral every day. That's a process, but it doesn't happen by chance, and it isn't going to be a natural desire of your, your heart and mind. It's a decision that we make. Today, I die to self that I might live for Christ. Paul put it this way in Romans chapter 6. Consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. And do not let sin reign in your mortal body any longer. That's your choice. Christ has given you everything you need to do that, but it's your choice. He put it this way in Galatians 2. I am crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live. But Christ lives in me. In the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and delivered himself up to me. Right? Christ gave his life for me, that he could take my life from me, that he could live his life through me. That's the crucified life. That's what Paul's desire is. Is that your desire? That I may die to my self-life. In order that, he said in verse 11, I may attain. That means to arrive at as at a goal. I may have as the goal of my life 
resurrection from the dead. What does that mean? It's a unique word there. The only time it's used in the Bible, though it's translated in English, resurrection literally means out-resurrection. Again, Kenneth Weiss says, the Greek word used here translated resurrection is only found here in the New Testament, literally out-resurrection. Paul is not speaking here of the future resurrection of the physical body of the saints. That's assured him in 1 Corinthians 15. He has in mind the spiritual resurrection of the believing sinner spoken of in Ephesians 2, 4-8. through 8. A resurrection out from a state in which he is dead in trespasses and sins to one in which he is alive with the divine life of God motivating his being. Paul desires the full operation of this life to surge through his Christian experience in such a manner that the fragrance of the life of his Lord may permeate his life. This is the goal to which he is striving, the goal to which he has not yet attained. He says, I have not yet gotten there yet, but I'm going after it. Not looking behind, but pressing forward to what's ahead. That's what I'm going for. That I may know this about Jesus. That I may know Him, that I may know His power, that I may know the fellowship of His sufferings, that I may die to the self-life, that I may attain to the Christ life. That Christ might be so evident in me. And it's all anyone ever sees. That I may attain to the Christ life. Arrive at as a goal. That's where we're going. That's what we're striving for. And only Jesus can live that life in us. So often, and I, I look back and I, I, I realize I've made this mistake in my teaching so much. We've made such an emphasis on the external. And we have, we have caught this idea that the Christian life is about me working really hard to reform the flesh so that it looks more like Jesus. Let me tell you something. The, the flesh cannot be reformed. The flesh must die. That's the message of the Bible. I am crucified with Christ. That's not a reformation. That's a death. We die to ourselves. And Christ might live His life in us and through us to accomplish His purposes in our life. That's what Paul was striving for. Let me finish by reading a couple of passages from Major Ian Thomas, The Indwelling Life of Christ, All of Him in All of Me. He writes, and I'll read a couple portions throughout the book. At the very beginning in the introduction, under a heading, Our Greatest Need, he says, Experiencing this simplicity, that is all of Christ in all of me, is the greatest need today throughout the church worldwide. The utmost need in every ministry group and every missionary outreach, every denomination, is to rediscover the Lord Jesus Christ and the indispensability of His indwelling presence within the believer. This means encountering the risen living Lord who shares His life with us here on earth on our way to heaven so that He may accomplish through us what He began to do 
in his own physical body 2,000 years ago. In another chapter, he, he says, man cannot produce righteousness on his own. That is, this, this righteousness from within, right? He says, however, uh, man cannot produce righteousness on his own. However, any more than a car can go or an oil lamp can shine without fuel. Trying to light an oil lamp with no oil is illogical and useless. You'll remain in the dark. Trying to drive your car without gasoline is likewise utterly unreasonable. You will end up getting out and pushing it and getting only as far and as fast as your physical strength allows and bringing yourself to utter exhaustion. The same is true with human beings. Simply urging them to, do, to, to be good, telling them to draw from the depths of their personality, introducing them to behavioral science, trying to legislate their actions with rules, regulations, and religion, and threatening them with punishment or prison. Ultimately, none of these can succeed in producing a righteousness from human beings. That is, again, a righteousness from within. We can legislate actions and behavior, but we cannot re legislate righteousness from within. He goes on to say, to get light from the oil lamp, filling it first with oil is entirely reasonable. To get a car to provide you with transportation, filling the tank with gas is completely logical. In the same way, divine logic affirms that obtaining righteousness from a man or woman happens only when that person is filled with God. Oil in the lamp, gas in the car, Christ in the Christian. It takes God to be a man, and that's why it takes Christ to be a Christian. Because Christ puts God back into a man. The only way we can again become functional. Not about trying harder. Not about reforming the flesh. Lastly, he writes in a chapter called The End Product of True Evangelism. The end product of evangelism is not just to get you out of hell and into heaven, but to get God out of heaven and into you. So that Christ living in your heart might bring a God out again into the open where he can be seen. That is what brings glory to God. This happens when we are prepared to identify ourselves with Christ in His death and to share His resurrection life. You acknowledge as a redeemed sinner that Jesus, risen from the dead, has come to reinvade your humanity so that you can place all that you are at His disposal. Others who look at you will see Him behaving. Just as people looked at Jesus, saw the Father behaving. This is the gospel. What then is the ultimate and product of our obeying this gospel and entering into the good of that which has been provided for us in Christ to restore us to our true function as human beings, God has predestined us to be conformed to the image of His Son, Romans 8.29. Therefore, when we are finally evangelized and people look at you, sorry, therefore, when you are finally evangelized and people look at you, they should see the image of the Lord Jesus Christ. This is what God has always had in mind for us from the eternal ages of the past. God in you. Christ, life, flowing through you. I don't know about you, but this is incredibly encouraging because I spent most of my life trying to live the Christian life. When in reality, it's about surrendering to Jesus and letting Christ live it through me. That, that's not passive. Because I'm called to obey the Scriptures. 
But I do it in the power of Christ and, and out of the love of Christ, not because somehow I've got to make up for all my bad stuff. It's freeing. It's the presence of God in our life. And just so we know, this is not just this is not just a new development in the New Testament. This has been God's plan from the very beginning. Look at Exodus chapter 33. Again, this is something we, we just read. If you're reading through the Bible just this past week, this really struck out to me. Verse 16 of Exodus 33. Moses is praying and saying, God, go with us. God says, I want you to go into this land, right? And, and, and he says, I want, God, you've got to go with us. If you don't go, we're not going. Because without you. And then you look at verse 16. For how then can it be known that I have found favor in thy sight and I in thy people? Is it not by thy going with us? So that we, I and my people, may be distinguished from all the other people who are upon the face of the earth. How in the world are they going to know that we're different? Only by your presence with us. How are they going to know you're different? You screw up. I screw up. We get, we get upset about things. We, we honk at people when they don't do right on the road more often than we should. We do a lot of things that someone watching might say, I know a lot of people that are better than that. It's only when they see Christ in us. When they see the character of Jesus on display. The fruit that is born out of a life that is filled with the Spirit of Jesus. And what is the fruit of the Spirit of Jesus? Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. You can't produce that only God, only He can in us. Not genuine fruit. I've purposefully not spent time in this message talking about practical ways to get to know Jesus better. We've, we've talked about that multiple times. I want you to think about, first of all, do I desire to know Jesus more deeply? Do I desire to surrender my life more fully to Jesus? Do I desire what Paul desired? And then spend time dwelling upon what he's talking about here. And I think God will help you see how to do that. Let's pray. Father, if nothing else, my hope is that we walk away saying, my life is not like that, the one that Paul is wanting. Because Lord, I'll be the first to confess to you I don't want to be persecuted. Lord, I'm a comfort seeker. I confess to you that I worship at the idol of comfort seeking too many times. And I ask that you would help me. And I confess that before my brothers and sisters. You'll help me. Recognize that desire before it manifests into action. And I might repent. And I might step into the 
out of the comfort and into obedience. God, I don't know what persecution lays before us. I do know that many of our brothers and sisters are facing it day after day after day already. You're allowing it because it brings you glory as they respond and as it it produces in them a greater love for you. God, our prayer is that You will do a, a mighty work in this place. May we be willing to pray that prayer with no strings attached. Bring it about as You see fit. that you love us so much. You see us in our struggles. Lord, you look into our hearts and you know what that thing is that causes us to not be willing to pursue you fully and surrender completely. You know what that is. You know what that fear, that struggle. Or would you also gently yet forcefully bring that to the surface in each of our lives. God, would you give us a greater desire to know you more deeply, to surrender to you more fully, that we might have a deeper walk with Jesus, that you might get all the glory that you want through our life until we breathe our last breath and see you face to face. We ask all this in Jesus' name.